When I saw it, my heart sank. I thought I had just killed my boys. Hi, neighbor. Welcome to Anchors of Encouragement. I'm Tim Maudlin, husband, adoptive parent, Bible class teacher, and the persistent encourager. Did you finally realize your dream of having a family only to have your happily ever after turn into a nightmare? Have you ever been told you're failing your kids? Life can be tough. Storms in life are inevitable, but there are ways to remain anchored when life knocks the wind out of you. In Anchors of Encouragement, my mission is to throw adoptive parents a lifeline and be your anchor to teach you biblical solutions for modern day problems so that you can weather the storms of life too. If you're ready for real and raw talk that leads to peace beyond comprehension so you not only survive but thrive in life's storms, this podcast is for you. Hope and healing are on the way. Hi, neighbor. I want to thank you for joining me in this episode of Anchors of Encouragement. This podcast is first and foremost a podcast of biblical mindset support for adoptive parents. We talk a lot about adoption. We talk a lot about adoption trauma. I realize that these topics can at times be rather heavy. I hope that each episode you come away with some nugget of encouragement that you can apply to in your lives, and especially if you are adoptive parents. Today I would like to switch up topics a little bit. I don't want to talk about adoption, but I would like to talk about something that is encouraging. You know, I do talk about how to weather the storms in life. I would like to talk about a weather story today. Now, it's going to start a little dark, but stay with me because I believe that when you hear the full story, you will be encouraged. Let me set the story up with a little context. I live in southern Indiana. I remember when my wife first moved here from New York, she would say, the thunderstorms feel like they're right on top of you. We have thunderstorms, but we also have tornadoes. I wouldn't say we have tornadoes to the extent that some other states have, but we do have our fair share of them. I remember back in 1974, I was in sixth grade. You can do the math if you want to figure out how old I am. That was the first time I ever experienced a tornado. In fact, that was the first time our school had ever done a tornado drill. To the administration's credit, they had been monitoring the weather for the last for the past few days and knew that there, it was forecasted that there would be severe weather and possible tornadoes in our area. We drilled multiple times that day. In my class, we were told we would, would go to the locker room and we would wait out any severe weather. Later in the day, the alarms went off, and this was the real thing. There was severe weather in the area. There were tornadoes expected. The administration held the buses, and we went to our safe places. I remember going down the hallway, and I looked out the window, and this is the first time I ever saw hail. This hail was as big as softballs. It was scary. We waited out the storm in the locker rooms, and it was good that the administration held the buses because had they sent them home, some of us might not have made it because some of the neighboring communities were just leveled. That day made an impression on me. I knew to take severe weather serious 
but after that, if there's a tornado warning, I do not uh, ignore it. Now, I want to fast forward from that day, March 2nd, 2012. I have my own family now. And on that day, it was a Friday. My wife had the opportunity to go to a conference in West Lafayette. So I took the opportunity to take the day off to spend with my boys. I hadn't been listening to the weather uh, on previous days, but I remember turning the weather on that morning and I was surprised that the anchors for the Weather Channel were in our neighboring communities. They were close to Louisville. I'm just about 30 miles north of Louisville, but these anchors were broadcasting from southern Indiana. And I thought, that is odd. What they said caught my attention. They were concerned because of the weather that was approaching our area. And what they said was, it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when these storms would hit and how severe they would be. I was watching very closely the news that day. I took the boys out for lunch, and when we got home, I remember getting out of the car, and there was a coolness in the air. I knew that was not good. I was getting flashbacks to time in 1974. I told the boys, I said, when the alerts come and when the sirens go off, we are going to our safe place. We don't have a basement in our home. Our emergency plan is to go to the church building a mile and a half away. Alerts are a lot more sophisticated now than they were when I was younger. We have more time to respond to weather alerts and to warnings. When the warnings went off, we got in the car and we drove down to the church building. And I knew I had taken my boys to the safest place possible that we could ride this storm out. They were downstairs, or at least I thought they were all downstairs. One of them followed me up and I was looking out the door I went outside of the building and was looking out to the southwest because that's where the tornado is supposed to be coming from, but it wasn't there. I looked around the corner of the building and I couldn't believe it. There it was. It looked like it was right on top of us. My heart sank because I thought I had just killed my boys. I thought I had moved them to a safe place, but I had actually moved them closer to the tornado. Later, I would come to understand that this thing was so huge that it was actually between a mile and a half and two miles away. It was an EF-4. Now, the largest on the scale is an EF-5. This was an EF-4. When I saw it, I had a camera with me. I took one picture. I said, I'm not going to have debris hitting me and killing me. I took one picture and ran inside and ran downstairs. Let me pause for just a second. If you would like to see the picture I took of the tornado, you can check out the link in the show notes. That picture became the cover for the book I wrote about this story. I was surprised because I thought we were going to take a direct hit. I mean, the tornado was so large, I thought it was on top of us already, but it veered away and didn't come to where we were located. When I went outside, the sky was still dark, it was raining, and I could hear sirens in the distance. What we would come to find out about this tornado was that it was on the ground for 50 miles. It had passed our area. In our local schools, the administration had decided to hold the buses. All of the students in elementary, middle, and high school were in the building. 
the tornado went over the school campus. There was a neighboring community about 20 to 25 miles away in Henryville, Indiana. You might have heard about them on the news. The administration in that school district decided to send the kids home. There was no one in the schools. That school took a direct hit. Had they been in there, many of them would have died. Had the, the students in our town been sent home, some of them probably would have died because of the areas that got hit. By the grace of God, there could have been a lot more loss of life. Unfortunately, just across the highway from where my mom and dad live, five of our, our neighbors were killed and missed my parents' home by less than a quarter of a mile. My dad taught me something when I was young that stuck with me, and I remembered that day. He said, if you cannot help in a situation, don't get in the way. I'm not a first responder, and I didn't want to get in the way. I could hear the sirens coming, and within a matter of minutes, they were descending from the neighboring communities, and in a matter of hours, they were coming in from other states. That was all in response to how tragedies were going to be dealt with after 9-11. It was amazing that all these people with this expertise to help others were there helping us. I went home to see if we even had a home. I took the boys and we had some damage from the hail, but uh, our home was still standing. And for the rest of the day, I watched the news and I was just amazed and in shock of the devastation that had happened. That night I went to bed and I was frustrated. Because all these people had come into our area and were helping all the victims, and I hadn't done a thing. And I wanted desperately to help, but I didn't know what to do. And just before I went to sleep, I remember thinking, what if I designed a t-shirt and sold t-shirts to raise money for the victims? Then I went to sleep. When I woke up the next morning, I still had the idea in my head, but I thought, how can this be implemented? And I thought, well, let me call dad because dad was a member of the local Lions Club. And I'll see if it would be possible to print shirts and have the Lions Club collect the money. Let me just back up a second. I have a t-shirt business. And so it wasn't out of the realm of possibility that I could, you know, print, design and print my own t-shirts. It was just how am I going to get them to the, how am I going to sell them? How am I going to collect money? How am I going to get the money to the people who need it? Well, I didn't want to deal with all the, the red tape of taxes and that kind of thing. But if you work through a nonprofit, I thought, okay, they can collect the money. I don't have to touch it. And then because they're a local group, we can use their boots on the ground to get the money to the people who need it the quickest and the fastest way possible. So dad said, I'll call the other members and, and get back with you. Well, he called me later on and says, it's a go. You raise the money. We'll collect it. We will make sure the people who need help get the help they need. So the rest of the day, I designed the t-shirt. And on Sunday, we went to services. And it was a rather somber service. We were all glad that we were still alive. But we could see the devastation all around us. My wife, Mary Beth, suggested later that afternoon, she said, you should make a Facebook group. I said, okay. So I made a Facebook group, called it T-Shirts for Pekin. And I had invited eight of my friends to like the page, like the group, and said, please share this with your friends. 
and we went to afternoon church services. When we got back and I opened up Facebook, I couldn't believe what was happening. There were eight people in that group when I went to church services. And when I got home, there were over a hundred. And they were asking me, when can we buy shirts? And the group kept growing and growing and growing. And I thought, I'm in way over my head. (laughs) So I remember reaching out to my friend, Michelle, and I said, Michelle, I need help. Michelle is really good at website design. And I knew that that we needed a website. We needed a way to sell t-shirts. She said, don't worry, I'll take care of it. That's just the kind of girl she is. She wants to help people. And she was going to, to lead the, the website design and the shopping cart and all that needed to happen. Stuff I couldn't do, but it's second nature to her. That was Sunday. On Monday, I went back to work and I'm at my desk and I'm talking about boss Mark. And I told him about my idea. I want to do, design these t-shirts and I'm going to take some time off, some vacation days and, and make this happen. Well, I didn't realize it, but he went and talked to the owner of the company, David. And came back to me later that afternoon and said, we want you to take time off and make this happen. And not only that, you have full access to the resources of this company to make this a reality. Well, I couldn't believe it. They were going to give me paid time off plus access to anything I needed to pull this off. It was just incredible that they would have that kind of generosity. That was Monday afternoon. I actually went home early that day. Well, Michelle had been working on the website and the shopping cart, and we ran some tests to make sure everything was working. And by that time, the Facebook group was around 1,000 people. And to put that into context, my hometown is between 1,000 and 1,500 people. And not everybody in town is on Facebook. There were people from neighboring communities following this Facebook group. When it was finally time to say go, and people could start purchasing shirts, it was amazing what happened next. We were selling over $1,000 worth of shirts an hour. This was a $15 shirt. We were making over $1,000 an hour. And we had not even printed the first shirt. Later that night, this was Monday night, I got an email from David, the owner of the company, and he was asking me how things were going. I said, well, uh, we're... We're making over $1,000 an hour. It's going pretty good. And he said, well, I've just, I've just made an executive decision. Whatever you sell in t-shirts, I'm going to match. And I said, really? I couldn't believe it. Here, he had given me paid time off, access to the resources of the company, and now he's going to match dollar for dollar whatever we sell. Let me just kind of briefly go over what happened the next few days of this campaign. It became apparent that we were going to need help. I mean, my wife and I were used to printing shirts, but not this many shirts and all the other things that went along with it. We were able to download the data from the shopping cart, but we needed help getting that organized. People started coming and asking us, saying, what can we do to help? They were in the same position I was just a few days earlier. They saw this devastation and they wanted to help, but they didn't know what to do. But now there was a project that they could get involved with and help make it a reality. People were helping us build databases. People were helping package shirts to to mail. I remember one lady in particular, when the tornado hit, she felt frustrated. And she said, I can buy a t-shirt. And she did. 
And then she said, I can help fold shirts. And she did. Now, when you printed 2,000 t-shirts, you need help folding shirt. We had several people come over to the house, folding shirts, packaging shirts. There were people who, some people would be at different locations to pass out shirts. It was just a group and a community effort. When it was all said and done, we had raised $30,000 in t-shirt sales. There were other Lions Clubs in the state and in surrounding states who wanted to participate. So they made donations. That totaled $9,000. I remember sending out the email to, to David that night and saying, well, we've raised $39,000. And I swallowed hard when I, I sent that email. And I got a response back and it says, well, it looks like I owe you $39,000. let us just take it to fifty. And again, I'm floored because here we were raising money for the community and we now had $89,000 to distribute to these people who needed help. The way the monies were distributed was pretty cool. It was hard to determine what everybody needed. And so the Lions Club bought gift certificates, gift cards. And these gift cards were given out to people who had been impacted. Now, they, these individuals were vetted. I mean, these were neighbors, so we knew who was needing help and who didn't. Some people were out of work because their businesses had been impacted from the storm. Some people had homes that were uh, damaged. It was just a lot of different things that had happened. And so these gift cards were given out so people could buy whatever they needed. It really helped a lot. And I remember my mom saying, one individual came up to her house because she was passing a lot of these cards out. This was a big burly guy. And she said when he came to the door, he had tears in his eyes because someone cared enough to do something for him. And that's the real takeaway from this story is that we had people who looked at what they could do and whether it was folding shirts or making donations or creating databases, or whatever it was, we had people from different walks of life doing what they could to help these individuals out. It was really the concept of being neighborly and loving thy neighbor as thyself. It was a special moment, and even to this day, as I think back on it, it inspires me to help as much as I can. Let's get to the daily doable. With the different examples that I've talked about, The one thing that I hope you'll take away from this episode is this. Whenever there's a need for something, don't look to other people to do it. Look within yourself and determine what you can do and do what you can. I can't tell you what that is necessarily, but I would like for you to ask yourself, what can I do? What am I good at? And when situations arise and present themselves, do what you can. It doesn't have to be in, in a tragedy. It could be just uh, everyday things. But just look around and how can you be, let's let's make this real personal. How can you be neighborly to other people? Not to the, necessarily the people who live next door to you, but how can you be neighborly and show the love that neighbor is to have to neighbor? That's all for this episode. I hope you've been inspired by today's topic. Until next time, this is Tim encouraging you to do what you can now.
If this podcast has given you the courage and confidence to face storms in your life, the number one way you can thank me is to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend about the show. Take a screenshot of this episode and share it in your Instagram stories and tag me at Tim Maudlin. You can also connect with me in my Facebook group, Anchors of Encouragement. So until next time, this is Tim encouraging you to do what you can now.